Stewart is in. Goblin in alone with Stewart back in. Scores! Over the blue line, space. Philly on near circle, back door feet. What a blocker save by Portillo! Here comes Halliday, left wing, joined by Beck. Halliday will sauce it for Beck, stick with for him. What a goal! For plenty of time and space, walking in near circle to the back end of the slot. Eber beats it, tucks it in. What a goal! Cross ice, D. St. Val has it. Back door shot, what a save! Portillo, it's loose, and another save. Right pad, he's miraculous. Welcome to our house. You're listening to the Fighting Saints Report. And we welcome you in to another edition of the Fighting Saints Report podcast, the final edition here in what we're calling season number one, the off-season Fighting Saints Report podcast. Started this back in mid-March, so it's it's been going on for a while. This is now 20 episodes into it, as I'm joined once again by Jim Leitner and uh, the USHL, big news coming out of the USHL in the past couple of days, and part of the reason why we waited um, a little bit later in the week to record this than we usually do, the fact that the USHL, we, we finally have a start date that they're shooting for. Now, when we talked about the NHL in June and July before they restarted, it was always, that's the date they have in mind. It's not a guarantee that they start that date. That's kind of the way the USHL is approaching it as well, Jim, but it's more information than we had 48 hours ago. There's a start date that they're shooting for. They have protocol in place that they're going to announce soon. So it's a good sign that the USHL has a date that they're working towards now. Yeah. And I talked to uh, Callie Larson the other day about, uh, about everything. And it's, uh, I don't think we could ever fully appreciate the tremendous amount of work that has gone into this on a, on a league level on a state le- or on a, a league level, on a city level, on a team level, uh, all the work that's gone into this to, to just try to find a, a date that they can hammer out. And uh, there's so many protocols that are in place. And, you know, <laughs> Kelly said, he, you know, he'd, uh, it'd take them probably half an hour to discuss all the protocol that are in place for, for the return to play, but it, it is, it's a great, uh, a great day to know that there's a, at least a glimmer of hope out there that uh, the season's going to start and not necessarily on time, but not too terribly off target either. I think that's a, it's a good sign that it's going to just be a few weeks late and uh, get going right after that. Yeah. I think the toughest part about for any of these leagues that are planning a return to play is you're shooting at a moving target. I mean, none of this stuff is staying is staying stagnant. It's it's ever changing, and by the time November six rolls around, there are bound to be changes in in some capacity. Whether it's uh, what local law enforcement is saying about guidelines, um, whether whether there's a vaccine. I mean, probably not by November sixth, but it, everything has changed so rapidly with the entire COVID nineteen situation that it's really tough to nail down a concrete plan because. By the time you figure out your plan and all the work goes into that, you probably have to come up with a new one. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, I have a lot of faith in the, the USHL in, in terms of trying to come up with, uh, you know, a good plan to return to, to play. And, you know, like I said, they put a ton of work into it. And they're, I, I know that they're uh, considering every possible scenario 
uh, that you could possibly even think of even more that we wouldn't even think of. Uh, so they're putting a lot of time and effort into it. And, uh, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, it speaks to the leadership of the USHL and, you know, they're not just doing this on their own. <clears throat> they're not just uh, saying, oh, we need to play. We're going to figure something out. They're, they're talking to USA Hockey. They're talking to the, the National Hockey League and, and figuring out what's working and what's not working at <clears throat> on a lot of different levels. So I think that's, a, you know, a great sign that they're, they're doing their due diligence and making sure that everything is done safely and uh, not just for the players, but the fans, the billets, the coaching staff, the staffs, everybody. So it's a, it's a good day. Yeah, November 6th, the, again, proposed start date, and in the USHL's release, they even referenced it as such. It, it wasn't hockey is starting in the USHL on November 6th. It is, this is what we're shooting for. We have protocol in place to get players to their USHL cities safely and then hopefully start up play as safely as possible. Um, a couple other things to note, there was no schedule released yet. They said that that was hopefully going to come out in a couple of weeks. And the schedule will look a little bit different this year. Um, as we know, in years past, the USHL has gone to a 62-game season. When you include the uh, two fall classic games, there won't be a fall classic this year. Uh, and the season itself, due to a little bit of a later start date, again, about a month later than the USHL usually starts, is now a 54-game schedule instead of a 62-game schedule. So you're still getting plenty of games. When you look at other junior leagues, they're, they're playing even less than that in their regular seasons for the most part. So still plenty of games, uh, but slightly less than what we're accustomed to in the USHL. And I think the bigger change that we're going to see this year is with the, the playoffs, it looks like it's going to be four aside instead of six aside. Yeah, I, I, I think that's, uh, I, you know, they made, we'll see if this is a permanent change. I, I doubt if it's going to be a permanent change, but uh, you look at the amount of time that everybody has lost. You know, you go back to, you know, most people haven't played competitive hockey uh, since February or March. So there's a lot of time that's, that's been missed just because of the virus, you'd hate to come back and play and try to cram in a 62 game schedule. And I mean, it's such a grind as it is. And now you'd be coming back and you'd try to force in 62 games in, in a short period of time. I, I think that's a, a really smart move to reduce the schedule. Um, and, and uh, you know, I, I think 50, anything over 50, I think is really is, is a good schedule. It's a, it's a robust schedule. It's not like you're really being cheated out of a lot. Uh, so I think that's a, that's a good start um, as far as the playoffs. And again, I think that the playoffs, you know, granted, I'd like to see more teams get in. I'd like to, you know, I like, I like the way it is right now with six teams because it makes so many more games more meaningful in the second half of the season. But that being said, I think in an unusual year like this, where, you know, again, we're talking about guys missing a lot of time and, you know, you know, a long, long schedule. You know, I, I like the fact that it's down to four again. And, you know, you know we talked about it at the start of the play. Well, when the, the playoffs were going to start, how difficult it is to, you know, play that mini series or that play in series right. that first week and then have to turn around and then go on the road and, and play because the saints have done that the last uh, couple playoffs that they've been in, how difficult that is. You know, I, I just think it's, I think it's a good move 
again, because a lot of these teams haven't had, a lot of these players haven't had a lot of hockey, a lot of competitive hockey in the last, uh, you know, six months or so. I think it's, it's a good way to, to ease yourself back into it. And then the following season, then uh, assess and, and decide if you want to go back to the, you know, the six teams getting in and the, you know, the 62 game schedule or however you want to look at it. And, you know, it might be the type of thing where you look at, you know, a little bit, a little bit shorter schedule and, and smaller playoffs. And you really like that and you want to decide to move forward the, with that. Or on the other hand, you could say it, it didn't work out. And when we get back to normal, we'll go back to way, the way we had it in the past. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a good prudent move. And, you know, I think we're seeing that at the NBA level. We're seeing it at the NHL level. Uh, Major League Baseball, a lot of little tweaks to, you know, how they're operating just to to uh, account for, you know, the amount of uh, inconvenience that COVID has given us. Yeah, and uh, MLB and their talks, they're now talking about maybe moving the playoffs to uh, a bubble situation. So there's a, there's a lot of adjustments being made on the fly from these leagues that, again, seem to have protocol or plans in place and then are going to have to switch them. Um, obviously you mentioned the work that the USHL has put in to get to this point. That doesn't mean the work stopped now for the entire league. No. If anything, no. the work is just starting, but again, it is very good to have a set date in mind because a lot of, a lot of pieces can move now a little bit quicker uh, due to the fact that you actually have a set date. I think it was the uncertainty for everyone was really what was uh, plaguing a, a lot of these leagues, just not having a set date. So Good to have a set date in place and excited to move forward with that uh, as part of the Fighting Saints. And we will see what happens next once the schedule comes out. That's the next big domino to fall here in the, yeah. uh, in the USHL's return to play. But um, other news before we get to our interview in this episode is uh, a commitment on the Fighting Saints front. And that happened mere hours ago uh, before <coughs> we recorded this. Max Montez. Uh, a tremendous young player played for the Milwaukee Junior Admirals last season and averaged a little over two points per game, commits to St. Cloud State University. Uh, he had a, a couple other Fighting Saints commit a few weeks earlier with Declan Lonane and Paxton Geisel, both to great programs in Providence and Denver, respectively. And now another great hockey program, especially, especially as of late in St. Cloud State, Montez uh, expected to join them. Yeah, you know, he's only he's only 16 years old right now. So and I think the plan is for him to be in Dubuque this season. And, you know, so hopefully we get to see uh, Max Montez a couple years in Dubuque. Uh, you know, obviously uh, an outstanding offensively gifted player uh, when he was with the Milwaukee Junior Admir Admirals this year. And, you know, I think uh, he played so well that he actually got a couple of different call-ups uh, he played for the Janesville Jets of the North American League for a game, and he also played a game for the Fighting Saints. So it, it, it shows that, uh, you know, coaches at the junior level thought a lot of him as a, as a very young player. And, you know, the statistics that he put up at the 16U level uh, this past season were really off the charts and, you know, something that uh, really – uh, gets your hopes up when you get to see him in the red and white uniform and in, interview. Max Montez, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, he even uh, did play with Dubuque last year, one game against Waterloo. Um, and in talking with him uh, at main camp this year, he really spoke highly of that experience and not just being able to play in the USHL, but 
spoke highly of being able to come up and have that experience with the Fighting Saints just to see what the day-to-day was like and get acclimated to it. And Dubuque had a couple other young players, uh, Connor Kurth and, and Kenny Connors, who are expected to be key contributors in the next year or two on the Fighting Saints that were able to do the exact same thing. And I, I do think that's a pretty big piece of the developmental puzzle for the Fighting Saints is giving these younger players that you anticipate to be key players in a few years the opportunity to come up and live a week, week and a half in the life of a USHL player so that it's not a total surprise when you actually do make it to the big club. Yeah, and I think, you know, the, it's, it's like an ongoing process, really. Um, you, we've seen it, you know, we've seen a lot of guys in Dubuque really benefit from that. And then, so the guys who are veterans this year, they took, they take those young guys under their wing, you know, when they, even if they come up for a week, uh, it's not like the old days where, you know, a young kid comes in and you put them through rookie hazing and you make the, make the experience miserable for them. Uh, You know, that's, those days are long, long gone and, and thank goodness they are. But, you know, when you come in and you have these veterans and they, they, they take you under your wing and, and they uh, show you the day-to-day, like you said, and they, you know, they just, you know, I think sometimes they tell you how difficult it can be. They can tell you how, how, how good it can be. And I mean, it gives you a, a realistic sense of what, what it's actually like. And, you know, it's, it's one thing for, you know, like a recruiter to say, this is what it's going to be like when you get here on campus. This is, this is what you can expect. And, uh, but it, it's a totally another thing when you actually get to experience that for a week. And, and uh, like you said, I think it's a, it's a great opportunity to see what your deficiencies are, what you need to work on. And, you know, and then you have a, an entire summer to hit the weight room or work on your skating a little bit or work on your sticking a little bit. And I think it's a, it's a great program. And, it, you know, Dubuque's not the only team that, uh, that does that. I mean, there are a lot of teams around the USHL that, that call guys up, but I, I think it's a great idea and it's, you know, it's a great, great piece of the developmental puzzle for the entire USHL. And the Fighting Saints and, and talked to Oliver David about a week ago and he was saying that the, the biggest thing that helps him is having, as you mentioned, just great players in that clubhouse so that, because it, it, it's one thing for a coach to tell you about what a, an experience is like with a team, but it's another thing to get a firsthand account from a player themselves who's been through that experience. And he was talking namely about Aiden Fault, but mentioned that there were a lot of other players that are on the team or have come through the Fighting Saints ranks that uh, you can talk about in this the same breath as Fault when it comes to just being leaders and kind of being ambassadors, if you will, for the Fighting Saints program. So um, that's a credit to Oliver David and Callie Larson for, for choosing and developing uh, great young men in the program who can, again, speak highly of what the Fighting Saints do and not lie about it. It's genuine that they enjoy their time in Dubuque. And uh, Max Montez, again, when talking with him, he said he enjoyed the little time that he had. And uh, for the Fighting Saints, you hope that that talent is ready to go at the USHL level sooner rather than later because he's an exciting player to watch uh, and certainly can bring a lot to the Fighting Saints whenever his name is called. Speaking of Dubuque, great times in Dubuque, developing in Dubuque. We, we have a special guest here today, and that's Jordan Coons, broadcaster for three years with the Fighting Saints, now about to uh, begin his third season with the Greenville Swamp Rabbits. The ECHL season 
delayed until December 4th, but again, they have a start date that they're working towards. We talked to Jordan about that, also talked to him about the NHL playoffs, and talked to him about seeing a lot of familiar faces from the USHL in the East Coast Hockey League, that interview right now here on the Fighting Saints Report. And we welcome a special guest to our podcast this week, taking a break from former players, and we're going the former broadcaster route. We have Jordan Coons joining us from, I believe, the Greenville Swamp Rabbits office there. I see a lot of memorabilia behind you, so I'm yeah. decked out your house with file cabinets and some Greenville stickers in the office here today. Jordan, <laughs> thanks for joining us, and uh, first and foremost, how has everything been for you the last four-plus months without hockey? Yeah, welcome to the Cube, right? This is my <laughs> little corner of the office here. Uh, it's been surreal. I think uh, you and I can both say that, you know, having a season uh, come to a close prematurely. In fact, the day that the season got suspended here uh, in the ECHL, we were the only team uh, supposed to play or supposed to host the Florida Everblades. Uh, so that day was basically preparing like a normal game day. But as the day went along, we started learning, uh-oh, you know, we may not play tonight. And then two days later, the season was canceled. So, you know, thankfully for our organization, uh, none of us have been laid off or furloughed or anything like that. We, we've been able to be at full strength and, and continue to work towards uh, this December 4th anticipated start date. But I, it's been surreal. You know, uh, nothing has felt normal. You know, we, we're going to have to adhere to a lot of different policies and procedures this upcoming year to have hockey in the first place. And uh, not complaining about it, but knowing that that's going to be a reality for, for everybody. And that includes you guys in Dubuque as well. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I know you can attest to it. I think surreal is a great word. It's just that some days it's felt like this has gone on for years. Some days it feels mm -hmm. like it was just yesterday when the, the season ended and the timetables have shifted. Uh, you guys know a, a concrete start date, at least, that you're moving forward to December 4th. Obviously, Everyone wants the season to start when it normally does, but at least to have that concrete date in mind, what was the what was the mentality of the organization once you knew you had at least had a date to work forward to? Yeah, we're excited about it. You know, much as you said, not everyone has that date in mind right now. And, you know, did it take some time and a lot of meetings by the Board of Governors and the PHPA to figure that out? Yes. Um, but now when we make phone calls and we're out in the community and we're having you know, media appearances, stuff like that, we can say, you know, we're anticipating to start December 4th, so start getting ready. Uh, and that means a lot to us. So uh, it's perhaps one light at the end of the tunnel that we're, we're happy about at this point. Uh, um, because again, there's been so much uncertainty as to, you know, obviously we know about college football being up in the air, who knows? Mm -hmm. uh, many conferences have made their choices at this point, but uh, you know, I hope we never have to go through anything like this ever again. I, I truly hope, at least in my lifetime, your lifetime, our lifetimes, that we never have to go through this again. Because, you know, the strain it's put on our day-to-day -day lives, the strain it's put on our livelihood and the entertainment industry, mm -hmm. it's been tough. You know, there's, I'm not going to make any bones about it. It's been hard. Yeah, and it's been a hectic off-season for that reason. For, for you guys in Greenville, in some aspects, it's been uh, a little bit more hectic because and maybe not hectic's the right word, but uh, a lot of moving parts there. A couple new hires to the hockey staff. I know Andrew Lord uh, is an interesting hire coming from overseas. Can you talk about your first interactions with him and a different perspective on hockey, having coached in a foreign country and now the ACHL? He's the first person in my contacts to have an international number. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll say that much. 
Uh, Andrew Lord, what, what more can you say about this guy? I mean, he was just a slam dunk hire for our team. Guy that won, and it was one thing having to learn how uh, the EIHL, the Elite Ice Hockey League over in, in UK, uh, they have three separate championships that you can win. You have the regular season championship, you have the playoff championship, and you have the Challenge Cup. So you can win three different championships in a year. And he was there, if I recall, six years, and he won nine, nine separate titles. Um, so he comes with a lot of pedigree. The Cardiff Devils were an incredible juggernaut every year. He went from player coach to eventually retiring as a player and becoming full-time head coach. Um, definitely an off-the-board hire, but a guy that came highly recommended. My conversations with him have been incredible. I have enjoyed chatting with him and talking about the game and the players that we've uh, brought on board this year. So I'm excited to get get working with him. He seems like a, an incredible character guy. I saw your Twitter account received a bunch of new fans right when that hire happened with all the Cardiff Devils fans coming over and congregating on the Swamp Rabbits page. <laughs> You're right. Um, so, and you can answer this if you'd like, but when you have a coach that goes from your team that you like to another team, what's your feeling initially, Jack? How, do you, how would you feel about that? I would say the only – I would be a little bit mad if it was like, say, I'm a Yankees fan. So if the Yankees manager moved to the Red Sox, I wouldn't be thrilled about that. But anything else, I, I think you at least wish the best for the, the guy and hope they have success. Right. These fans are so dedicated to this man. They did so much for that organization – you know, that many of them have basically pledged us that they are going to fly over here and get a group together and see Andrew Lord coach for the Greenville Swamp Rabbits. And, you know, my Twitter account got over 100 new followers. You know, the tweets about him every time he's mentioned, I mean, the, the likes just rocket through the roof. These people love this man. And what better indictment of a guy's character than that, you know, to know that he made such an impact there. And he has the same hunger to do that here. That means a lot. That's a big commitment. Uh, that's a, I would think that would be a, a lofty group commission if you were able to get all those fans over. <laughs> it won't be me, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, I, I appreciate the thought anyway. So just in general, because we've been talking about the ECHL here, you've now spent uh, two seasons, at least part of a second season, with, with Greenville until the season got cut short. What has the experience been overall for you having moved from the USHL now to the ECHL ranks? Um, you know, in, in terms of the expectation side of things, I definitely think there's a jump. Um, I'd say the, the main tenets of the job haven't changed too much. Still getting media attention, still writing press releases, still writing recaps, broadcasting games. I think the game notes component is a massive change from the USHL to the ECHL having to put out these massive packets of game notes with required reading and all this stuff. And, you know, being honest, I, I prep my own way. So I don't even read what I, I write or what other people write. And that might be a, a bit of a turnoff for my other colleagues, but um, I prep my own way, but you know, there's a lot of that. And, you know, the pro mentality is different. You know, you don't go from uh, having high V cater before a game, you get a per diem, you get to choose, your own destiny and what you eat, which can be a bad thing, a very bad thing um, for someone that isn't, you know, putting in all that exercise on the ice. So uh, having to balance that is tough. But um, when I first started, it was an adjustment in terms of the schedule. Playing midweek is a huge adjustment as opposed to just playing on weekends. Um, 
and being away from home sometimes as long as I am. Uh, but it, I've gotten used to it at this point, and you eventually do get used to the, the pro lifestyle. What's the transition been like from Midwest to Mid-South, more or less? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, big difference in the, the type of people here. Um, I'd say Dubuque was definitely small town. I would run into season ticket holders and fans on the regular in Dubuque. Mm-hmm. Uh, here, I'm never noticed ever. Uh, and there's something to that anonymity that's uh, actually kind of refreshing. Not to say I didn't enjoy running into the normal people that I did. Not, not a uh, you know bashing that at all. I I appreciated everyone there. Um, but it's it's a little different having to put up with the fact that Greenville is a burgeoning city. There is so much growth in this area uh, as a place that apparently a ton of people are not only going to as young professionals but retiring to too. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, a, a bustling town, a great downtown. Uh, it actually feels like a city. Uh, I know Dubuque is considered a city, but you know I, I don't think it has that same. Uh, this isn't a major metro. I'd say it's a mid metro, but you know there's a big difference. And the surrounding areas, it's not all farmland. Uh, it's not the the nothingness of Southwest Wisconsin or uh, Western Illinois. So it's a little different. Yeah, I think one of the coolest things about a job in sports and in hockey is that small knit hockey community. I mean, we networked before we ever met in person. Uh, Mm -hmm. There are a lot of players that move up in the ranks along with broadcasters, along with other staff members. Who have you enjoyed watching in your league, maybe a Dubuque alumnus or someone else that you just enjoyed watching in the USHL? I'm waiting for the first fighting saint that I had to play in this league. I'm still waiting. This year would be that year when we get to that point. Um, but players I've seen from the past, Robbie Jackson, Hayden Shaw are two of them in particular uh, that are come off the top of my head. Robbie Jackson in Tulsa. Hayden Shaw has been a pain in the you-know-what down in Jacksonville as a defenseman. Uh, and I knew going into it, I had heard everything. And uh, actually, it was Jackson and Shaw that were both deadline deals, if I recall. So I don't know if I can call them uh, the true fighting saint way. Uh, Brett Boeing uh, over in Toledo, I know. The Brett the Jet, the mayor, um, is over there. I haven't seen him play with Toledo. Um, but I've run across some guys in the USHL um, that I had there. Um, the goaltender from Jacksonville, whose name is uh, the Russian. Dang it. Um, I have to think about this for a second. Uh, man, this is going to be an editing challenge for you, you here, can, isn't it? You can, you can tell it's been a long time off if you're not coming up with a name off the top of your head. <laughs> it, it sure has been. Um, uh, Mikhail Burden, that's it. So I, I knew he was a pain in the rear end to play against. He plays the puck like crazy. And, you know, going into the pregame show, I'm like, this guy's going to play the puck like crazy. Uh, fun story about Burden. Uh, in fact, uh, against us the swamp rabbits he got credit for a goal in fact uh in they eventually changed the the credit for the goal um but i i almost saw a goalie goal scored but uh there have been some players that have come through i think this year will definitely be uh, a year where i get to see i hope some saints come through uh, not only i hope here but elsewhere so i can finally go up to them and say hey remember me and i sure hope they do at this point but um, yes, I mean, this is, this is that place that I hope that um, some of them come to because I've only had some, like uh, Jared Privatera was here for the preseason my first year. Um, and he unfortunately didn't make it on our club, but uh, 
it's been sparing in, in the Greenville sense. So I've kind of been nudging Lordo to, you know, hey, get, I know some guys, you know, trying at least. Yeah, well, we'll have to we'll have to connect him with Callie Larson and see if they can work yes. with something. Definitely. <laughs> but uh, I guess I'm not nearly as familiar with the, the ECHL, obviously, working in the USHL. Um, and I'm sure a lot of our fans are not necessarily as familiar with the league and, and maybe even the, the regions that you travel to. Where are a couple hot spots that you absolutely love going on the road in the USHL? Uh, not Jacksonville. Uh, I can put that up front. Um, you know, I enjoy going to uh, to Fort Myers where the Florida Everblades play. Um, that's just a, a beautiful area. Uh, my parents have a place down there and my mom's a snowbird. So uh, I get to see her when I'm down there. Uh, I get to you know stay with my mom. I don't get to see my parents very often. So that's, that's a big thing for me. Orlando's a really cool spot. Uh, the other ones are really day trips, uh, going to Atlanta or uh, uh, to Charleston. It's a, a day bus back and forth, so you don't really get a chance to, to really see much. And then Norfolk's a cool town, too. I mean, it's a really cool downtown area. You're right on the waterfront. You get to see some military ships there. Uh, the Nauticus Museum is a really cool time. Uh, and then otherwise, you know, uh, some of the other trips I've been on, Cincinnati is a really cool city, too. Uh, we were up in Worcester, Mass., so a lot of the guys went into Boston. Um, so there, there are cool spots we get to go to. Uh, the one that I hope we get to uh, while I'm here is Newfoundland. Um, not on the schedule uh, last year or the year prior. I guess they weren't a team the year prior. Um, but, you know, I, I'm hopeful at some point I get to, to see St. John's Newfoundland. And you mentioned Cincinnati, uh, some pretty big news coming out of that camp recently. Their play-by-play voice, Everett Fitzhugh, moving up to the uh, NHL level with the Seattle Kraken. Uh, and I was reading that story on The Athletic, but I, I know that you've had a chance to probably interact with him in person. How big of, of news is that? Obviously, not just for Everett, but also just for broadcasting in general. Yeah, it shows that it's still it's, it's possible. You know, if you stick to it, it's still possible. Uh, for anybody and, and what a, a trailblazer that I, I believe if he said in that article he said that in a way he doesn't feel like he is one uh, but by by consequence I suppose that he is I have nothing but good things to say about Everett just a, an incredible funny guy you know a gregarious personality uh, a guy that people in Seattle are going to absolutely love uh, I think that uh, Cincinnati's going to miss having him on board, seeing the reaction of the fans being like, Oh man, we're, we're really going to miss you here. But Seattle, like, you know, that, that's going to be what, what a, what a jump, you know, that is incredible. Uh, so Everett, I'm going to miss having him uh, in our, in our circle of colleagues here in the ECHL level, but uh, just a, an incredible guy. I know he's going to do a great job over there in Seattle. You'll have to tell me how it is. I'd like to get to Seattle and actually be there. It's a city I've always wanted to go to. Yeah, I've never been to Seattle. Also, I have cousins there, so now I have an excuse to to go there. They just moved a couple years, right. so we need to need to make it out at some point. Um, <laughs> with, for your critical hockey mind, then uh, Seattle, the Kraken, the logo, the name, the uniform. What were your thoughts on, on all that? I love it. I absolutely love. I think every piece of that design, uh, the Space Needle anchor. Uh, the white sweater is so clean. Uh, the, even the dark sweater is clean too. Uh, I love that design. Every I think I tweeted. I love every single design choice about this. And yeah. it's just beautiful. 
uh, I can't wait to see it uh, actually on ice and knowing what Vegas went through on the um, the transition to go first year to the Stanley Cup final I get the feeling that the uh, the expansion draft is going to make them very competitive right off the bat too so it won't be one of those things where you're like Ottawa and winning 13 games in an 82 game season or at least I hope so yeah, uh, uh, expectations set maybe unreasonably high by Vegas. Yes, <laughs> with what that's, that's putting it lightly, yeah. Yeah, and then they're in Vegas again in the playoffs this year, the number one seed in the, the conference, and uh, I, I think that's a good place to transition to some NHL because while we're not playing hockey in the USHL, while the ECHL is delayed, the NHL has not only started playing, but they've done it with resounding success. I think the biggest stat – that the NHL can be proud of right now is the number zero because still through three and a half, four weeks in the bubble, zero positive tests. The bubble works. That's a large enough sample size to definitely indicate the bubble works. What has it been like to be able to sit down on a couch after work, flick on the TV and watch some hockey? After work? Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah right. Um, no, it's, it's going to be tough in the staff meeting since uh, the game today starts at three o'clock and our staff meetings at three. So uh, I might have to be a good boy. Um, no, it, I think really it's been awesome to see the fact that you can have five games in a day and not get tired of it um, and to know that it's back to back to back to back. Now, we saw what five overtimes can do to that schedule, uh, but unlike Mil Mike Milbury, I think the both of us agree that, you know, dance till you drop, you know, none of this three-on-three -three crap for that reason. Now, Milbury's um, a Seattle fan too, though, apparently, based on that tweet. Oh, boy. <laughs> That's true. Big space needle guy. Um, so it's been great to see, as you said, the zero number is very impressive that they, they put things together. They put a policy in place and it seems like the guys are really dedicated to making sure that this works. They yeah. don't want that number to become one to derail everything. Right. They've stuck to the plan and the plan has worked resoundingly well. Uh, it seems like the guys are having fun in the bubble, which is also important for a clarity of life. I know uh, being homebound uh, in that first month of quarantine sucked. Uh, not only, I'm sure not only just for me, um, for everybody. And it's just been important to keep their mental spirits up and to continue to play and fight for the Stanley Cup. It's not going to be the same uh, when it's awarded and there's no fans in the building. And what are you going to do with a parade? Is it going to be virtual? Uh, you know, these are all questions that are uh, hopefully a couple months away, but it, it's going to be different, uh, but at least we have it. And that's what's most important. As a casual viewer, when you bring up no fans, it's impossible to ignore, but how much have you actually noticed that in watching the games? Uh, I think to the more dedicated listener, you'll hear sometimes that the audio kind of goes backwards for a time and that's to knock out any uh, fleeting expletives. Now, on a legal basis, if I recall my media law uh, class from my junior year of college, <laughs> that they can get away with that. The FCC has something against fleeting expletives that you wouldn't get fined, but I guess it would happen so very often in these games. I think the weird reversed audio takes away from it, um, but there's nothing like the intensity of a, the crowd in a playoff game. Imagine that comeback. Uh, that Toronto had against Columbus. If that was actually in Toronto's building, or it is, wasn't Toronto's building, but I mean like staffed to the gills with people. Mm -hmm. Imagine just that feeling, the roar after that tying goal. I, I can't, or even the winning goal, I, I can't wrap my head around that. And 
I think it was even said by Sheldon Keefe after the game. He said, it's unfortunate that no one was here to see it. Yeah. Or, no, it was, sorry, that was John Cooper after the five overtime game. He yeah. said, it's, it's unfortunate that no one was here to see it. And I, I agree with that. It's a crying shame that we won't get to see it in person. Uh, but hopefully, again, as I said, this is a once in a lifetime thing that we won't have to deal with this hopefully ever again. Yeah, certainly. And uh, I, I think the, it was a shame that no one could see that Maple Leafs game as well. I was expecting them to start piping in booze, though, when the Maple Leafs were getting shut out in game <laughs> five, because that would have been very realistic for Toronto. Oh, and boy. Being played Savage. In yeah, no, it's uh, an unfortunate playoff exit for the Maple Leafs once yeah. again. Um, diving into the USHL, because we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about your time with Dubuque on a Dubuque Fighting Saints podcast. Um, overall, you spent three years in the USHL. What was the time like in Dubuque? And not just from like the broadcasting perspective, but that's a pretty formative time in your life, having your first job away from home and growing. What was it like for you overall as a person? Yeah, so the first point is that people in, in this office, and I'm sure the one across the way is going to say something here, but uh, they tell me I can't shut up about Dubuque. Um, <laughs> so I'm almost waiting for Brett over there to say something about it. He might be on the phone, but uh, they tell me that uh, I don't shut up about my time in Dubuque or things that happen there. Uh, <laughs> he's shaking the keys. That's, that's key for <laughs> Um So yes, it, it's true. I, I, I speak a lot about my time there. I speak about the tradition of excellence, the people I got to meet there, uh, not only on the, the business operations side. I mean, both of us are, uh, are Casey White's fans, uh, and he's, he's, a, he's a staple in the Fighting Saints cloth, essentially, uh, since mm -hmm. its return uh, in 2010. Um, you know, Oliver David is a constant. Um, you know, having to meet, you know, having the chance to work alongside and meet Jason Lammers, a, a guy I consider a friend on top of a, a colleague in hockey and the success he's had, the people that have come and gone, the players that have come and gone, seeing their success in the college ranks and hoping that they have a chance to play here, the American Hockey League. I can't tell you how excited I was uh, to see Gordy Green even sign an American Hockey League deal in Toronto. Just what that means to see a guy you know, work his bag off basically in juniors and have an incredible career at Miami and go forward from there. But to answer your question about me, um, you know, it was, it was hard moving halfway across the country uh, for an unknown. I had, it would be my first time working in hockey uh, as a 25 year old um, coming off of Zach Fish, who's now in Hershey, uh, a, a huge shoes to fill. I remember uh, now, my first event, the season ticket holders uh, pickup party, uh, Zach was still there and was parading me around and introducing me to people. And every time it was, oh, we're going to miss you, Zach. No one can ever, you know, fill in what you did. And I'm just standing there off to the side like, hey, I'm, I'm the guy now. <laughs> um, and, and I hope I, I changed some hearts and minds over time. But um, that was hard. It's a hard life adjustment to, to live on your own for the first time. You know, High V on Locust became my friend. I, I miss High V Chinese greatly. Um, you know, I miss drinking Doc. Uh, I remember I brought that up in the office the other day. Uh, I can still navigate Dubuque very well, uh, given the opportunity. I miss my, my quick trip burgers and all that. So I could go on and on about everything that I miss there, but I miss a lot about it even though it was just a short period of my time it was a very formative 
uh, period of my life. It, it grew me as a professional, faced some hard times, uh, but certainly it, it gave me the building blocks to work with and, and gave me the readiness to be at this level and hope to continue on. And you mentioned Oliver David. We talked about Callie Larson earlier. What was what was your feeling like when you saw them being awarded for their hard work in Dubuque this year? Oliver with the USHL Coach of the Year and Callie with the GM of the Year in the exact same season. Uh, I can't tell you how sincerely and genuinely proud of them that I was. Um, you know, in Callie's case, uh, the fact that you know he would even ask me about you know some some maybe perceptions I had on players and our, our relationship grew greatly uh, in the three years I was there. And even since, and Oliver, I mean, is the assistant coach in the first year I was there, he took that second year to go to Portland and then came back as head coach. You know, I, I'm big fans of both of them. Uh, I love the fact that the league gave them the recognition that they deserve. Um, you know, I know that Chicago steel finished over the saints in the standings, but I, I feel that the Saints do it the right way, uh, the best way, uh, the Saints way. Um, so I sincerely, genuinely proud of both of them. I texted them immediately after I saw it, and I, I'm just jazzed for both of them. And I know that this is just the first of uh, many of them for both of them. And I just hope that it turns into a Clark Cup championship because I know it's been far too long. I want myself – uh, selfishly, to be the only broadcaster that didn't win one, just so you don't have the pain of not winning one either. Uh, I know uh, as broadcasters, it's almost our job to to have a good memory, and you spent three seasons in Dubuque, so we're going to try to recall on that good memory. Are there is there a game or a couple games that stick out to you or you just remember them vividly broadcasting in the booth, a couple games that might stand out above the rest? Yes. Yes, two of them, both in Cedar Rapids, right off the bat. Um, the one, actually, sorry, let's let's do a full weekend against Cedar <laughs> Rapids. It was the weekend of April Fools, 2016. The first game was broadcast on KCRG. Uh, it was a big game. Uh, Cedar Rapids was ahead in the standings. They finished first. They were a first round exit, like they always are. I'm sorry, um, but you know it was Green Bay in second. Uh, the Fighting Saints in third, and then Bloomington was fighting for that fourth spot with somebody else, I forget who. But it was a big series to cement that third-place spot or at least have a, a chance at the second-place spot. Green Bay and eventually end, uh, ended up getting that. But uh, moral of the story, we're up against Cedar Rapids. I think it was a bad weekend the weekend prior, uh, but it was a 10-3 to shellacking uh, of the Cedar Rapids Rough Riders. Um, that was fun. It was so fun that I called it a goal parade, uh, both on the air and on Twitter. Yeah. The infamous, so goal parade the game. infamous goal, that's my fault. Uh, so the next morning I tweeted, uh, cause we were going to Cedar Rapids that day. I said, are we ready for another goal parade fighting saints fans? And that did not sit well with Cedar Rapids. I, I got a couple of uh, messages in my inbox that were not too friendly, but at the end of the day, I am serving the Saints and that I want our fans to, to, to get on board with that. We just absolutely crushed you. We're going to do it again. And you know what happened that night in a two, two game late in the third period, uh, Brett Boeing takes a major penalty uh, for goaltender interference. Their goaltender, Ben Blacker uh, eventually, I think he had a concussion out of that. Um, 
it becomes five on four. Now, I forget who took the penalty to even it up at four on four, but I remember this play as it was Ryan Zulsdorf who gave the puck to Keegan Ford, goal line in the left, uh, base of the left wing circle, goal line, centering pass to Dallas Gerrads. He scores, puts the Fighting Saints up 3-2 late, uh, get another one, and then the empty netter uh, to make it a 5-2 win. And after that game, and with the Saints fans there, just a party. I, I mean, the, the broadcaster table was swamped. We were just all celebrating this victory. We all went out to the bus and just had this great time. That was the first one. Uh, the second one against Cedar Rapids uh, was the season opener the next year. Jacob Semek actually, in fact, scored the game-winning goal in that one. Uh, but I showed up to – we showed up to Cedar Rapids about three hours before the game. I have no idea why we left as early as we did. Uh, <laughs> shout out to Kevin Ansel for getting us there super early. Um, but I thought, you know, at the time we were using uh, the JK Audio Box, which was a phone line connection. Um, and apparently Cedar Rapids had disconnected their phone line two weeks before and didn't tell anybody. Uh, so I'm there – you know, just yelling at everybody saying like, you know, who, why didn't anyone tell me this? And, you know, can we fix it? The answer to that was no. So I had to have Russell Hill, the producer, log into hockey TV, watch the game, feather that audio through to the broadcast on a, I think it was like a 10 second delay or something. I have no idea if there was tons of dead air or not. I don't care. But when you make me angry before a game, I usually have my best games. And that was just an incredible game where it was a 1-1 tie heading in overtime and then Jacob Semek won it. Uh, you know, the run to the, the Clark Cup final in my first year was incredible. Uh, making the playoffs all three years. Um, I still think that we should have won that series against uh, Chicago in my second year. And I felt like we could have won the Clark Cup that year against Sioux City. Uh, but... There's just uh, those are a couple of the games that stick out to me, uh, of course, all involving Cedar Rapids. And I don't want I don't want to trash him too bad because uh, Mark Carlson's an incredible guy and an incredible coach. Uh, anytime I've had the chance to uh, to interact with him, he's been all class. But my favorite memories have been, you know, ragdolling them a little bit. So and now I'll I give them some. We can't trash them as much since there are two former fighting saints on that staff now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Imagine that have to tread lightly no more goal yes. parade tweets <laughs> <laughs> i feel like if you get an email from an opposing team about a tweet it's almost a, a signal to double down and tweet it again did you oh. just started a hashtag after that i think uh yes and that any time that it happens or we get close to it i'll get a text from casey that says goal parade question mark um so it's my fault that that exists um I think I may have used it once or twice here. We have not scored 10 goals on a game here in my two seasons. I hope that changes so that I can bring it here. Uh, maybe hopefully have it be a thing. Um, but as of right now, it's just part of uh, Fighting Saints lore in which that happened in my time there. The only time that the Saints scored 10 goals was against Cedar Rapids. It happened that next preseason. So, well, if, if drug... If we get close to 10 goals against CR in the coming months, maybe we'll bring it back a goal parade 2.0. I'm sure that would go I, well. I would feel so honored, Jack, I swear. We'll make sure to tag you in it, too, so people know where to direct their hate mail. Yes, do that. <laughs> Jaycoons at swamprabbits.com. There you go. Well, well, we'll feather this podcast out so people know exactly where to contact you. Uh, <laughs> 
Well, Jordan, we thank you for the time. Uh, before sure. you, we have one more question for you. Oh, and, you and can... I, I have one thing for the video here. I, I do have my uh, my last year. We had the the group picture, and there I am, about uh, ten pounds heavier there. I, that tie is still one of my favorites. Uh, there in a and Patty as well. Gotta love Patty. Patty is the goat. Yeah, a lot, uh, of, a, a lot of alum in that picture with you, with Patty now no longer in her, her role, and Matt Millar with yeah. the L.A. Kings. Yep. In that one corner, we got a lot of Yeah, Phil there. Rhodes is in that picture. Nick Hart. Uh, Paul Kirtland just got the job at Yale. I think I can say that. Parker's up in Sioux Falls. Um, you know, Jim Romagna's still there, I would, I would imagine. Um, and then, of course, uh, I don't think Joanne is in this photo, but she deserves to be because of how much – Incredible stuff she's done on the education side. Yeah, scholar athlete. I miss them all. I miss I miss all of you. By the way, if I, I, I'll save it for the closing thoughts. Continue with your questions. <laughs> well, it's it's a simple question, really. But uh, we talked NHL. Now that you've seen teams play, you have a small sample size. What's the matchup in the Cup final? Who ultimately wins it? All right. So it's going to come across as biased. Uh, you know, I, I think Philly has what it takes to come out of the East. If it's not them, you know. That's so tough. I, if Tampa Bay can win that series, I can see them coming out of the East. But I still think the Flyers are, are just playing the right way right now, come out of the East. I see Colorado coming out of the West. Um, I know it was a shaky game one for them, but you know the amount of depth that they have uh, is just sickening, to be honest with you. I can see Vegas and them in the, in the conference final. Uh, in the final itself, you know – you really want me to make a prediction here, Jack? You don't have to, but if you want to make yourself look bad, yes. Uh, Flyers and six. There you go. So that's that's what I'm thinking. All but, right. again, uh, there's been no cups in Philly since 1975, so it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I actually – I listened back to make sure I wasn't just giving myself a false pat on the back, but when Jim Leitner and I did our Stanley Cup predictions almost a year ago in September for a season that we thought was going to be over <laughs> by now – uh, I, I picked the Avalanche, so I had to double down and pick the Avalanche again to, to win it all in this restart. Yeah, yeah they're a phenomenal team, and you, you mentioned struggled yesterday and still scored three goals in less than a minute. So when, yeah. they, when they get going, they're really good. Uh, but again, we thank you for joining the podcast. I know you had the, the poster up ready for some closing thoughts, so the floor is yours, but thanks for the time here today. Yeah, absolutely, Jack. I, I thank you for bringing me on, first and foremost. Uh, and secondly, just to the, to the fans, the people that, that made my time so special, um, you know, speaking from the heart here, uh, when I had to tell my season ticket holders I was moving on, I cried, I think, during every single conversation because I knew just how much I was going to miss it there and how much of an indelible mark that the people there uh, to, you know, season ticket holders, normal fans that would come in and buy single game tickets, even though we tried to get them on flex plans or mini plans that didn't quite work. But uh, I, I know you guys are still trying. Um, you know, Jim Leitner, uh, just a guy that before we did the Fighting Saints report or Fighting Saints Weekly or whatever we called it uh, at the time, you know, we would always just have an hour long conversation before it, even recording just talking about life and talking about uh, the team or what's going on in the NHL, just a, a quality human being. Don Keck was my uh, broadcast partner for two seasons. He and I, you know, still in touch. Uh, I, I consider them family to me, uh, the Keck family. Um, and just the people made my time there so special. Uh, and, you know, I miss the Mystique Community Ice Center. Uh, I appreciate the fact that, you know, while the, the office looks different, that, 
the the broadcaster's corner is still there. Um, that means a lot to me. Um, it means a lot to know that the success is still there. Uh, that you know the standards have not dropped in terms of on ice excellence. Um, and I'm proud to consider myself an alum of the Dubuque Fighting Saints organization. To have lived in Dubuque for three years, to have uh, come out of that program and be an ambassador for them and um, you know, I was actually talking to Bob Daniels, the head coach of Ferris State University, uh, for a player we signed, Garrett Thompson. And we actually got talking about Dubuque. Uh, he has a couple guys, Antonio Venuto and Ben Schultheis, if I recall, are both going there. Um, and he said, man, OD just does it right, doesn't he? And I said, yeah, he absolutely does, because that's the Saints way. Um, and he's had uh, success in recruiting players to Ferris State. Um, and it meant a lot to me and has meant a lot to me uh, as I've gone through places and talked about my time in Dubuque or with the players that have come through here in Greenville. I said, oh, you come from Dubuque? That's awesome. You know, I came from uh, whatever USHL city and I really admired the way Dubuque did things or um, things like that. So hi, first and foremost, to everyone in Dubuque, uh, for those that have made it this far, I miss you. Uh, I had hoped to come back this summer to, to visit. Unfortunately, with the coronavirus, it didn't happen. I hope next year I can get a chance to come back out there again. It's always going to have a special place in my heart. So uh, if, if I say I'm coming back and most of you in Dubuque are friends with me on Facebook uh, that I have known, if you want to give me a quick trip burger uh, on that Monday, if they're still doing that special, I will love you forever. So uh, closing thought. Jack, thank you, and Dubuque, thank you uh, for making my time so special. Yeah, Jordan, thank you. Broadcaster now for the Greenville Swamp Rabbits, a saint for life, and the Gold Parade guy. We thank you for your time. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. And we welcome you back to the Fighting Saints Report, joined once again by Jim Leitner. We hope you enjoyed the interview with Jordan Coons talking about his time with the Fighting Saints, of course, and also detailing his experience so far at the ECHL level with the Greenville Swamp Rabbits. Always happy to have a good conversation there with Jordan. And now we'll shift gears to the NHL as we continue to move up tiers here in the hockey world. Playoffs still rolling on, still rolling on without a positive coronavirus test in the bubble, which is always a good sign. And now we're really getting to the uh, separating the contenders from the pretenders. The, the first round was a little bit weird because you had a lot of lower, or excuse me, higher seeds beating lower seeds. You didn't think that might happen, but now it seems like stuff has started to even out. A lot of the higher seeds taking care of business in short order. We just had elimination Wednesday. And nearly any team that could have eliminated someone did. Um, but as we'll go through the series, Jim, first and foremost, a bunch of teams have moved on. We still do have a fair amount of series, four total, that have not been decided here in the first round. But overall, which team have you been most impressed with so far in the Stanley Cup playoffs? Well, I, I'm going to go out west. I think uh, Colorado has been really impressive. Who would have, uh, who would have saw that coming? Yeah, September no less. You did. <laughs> you saw it coming in September, and you're not going to let me forget it either. So not until they lose. <laughs> yeah, so I, I hate to hate to give in to you and uh, and uh, back your pick, but boy, they uh, you know they beat uh, Arizona, beat them four games to one in, in that series, and the, the clincher 
you know, to, to pound a team seven to one the other night, that was uh, pretty impressive. And uh, Nathan McKinnon, I don't know if he, if there's a better hockey player in these playoffs right now. And it's a great without Connor McDavid in the playoffs anymore. I think that's going to be a great, uh, it could potentially be a great uh, stage for him to really assert himself as one of the best players in the, in the world right now. But yeah, Colorado, I thought looked really impressive and in, in taking out in an elimination game, taking out a team seven to one uh, was remarkable. And uh, I heard, uh, was listening to, to Sirius XM this morning and they were talking, it, it looked kind of like a, you know, a beer league team taking on a, a, a team full of ringers with, you know, NCAA guys and ex-pros. And, you know, they were sitting on the bench drinking beers while they were pounding the, the beer league team. So I, I don't know if I'd go quite as far as to say that, but uh, I guess I just did. But um, <laughs> it, it, it uh, yeah, they looked really impressive. And uh, I thought Vegas looked pretty good, too, against, a, you know, a a Chicago team that got really good goaltending from Corey Crawford. I, I thought the Blackhawks uh, put up a fight, but uh, Vegas still ran through them pretty quickly. So uh, that's going to be a heck of a Western Conference series if if it gets that far. Yeah, the the Vegas Golden Knights are the one seed, the Avalanche are the two seed, and now that they're doing the playoffs like they did once upon a time with reseeding after every round, impossible for those two to face in anything other than the conference finals, but that would be – a great conference final and the way those two teams are playing, it seems like it's uh, an inevitable collision course for the golden Knights and the avalanche. Um, what you said about Nathan McKinnon, I, I think it's, it's tough for the NHL when two of your best players are in the Western time zone as McKinnon and McDavid. And then you could go even further with dry but it's, it's really tough to market those players because watching these playoffs, I've watched more Nathan McKinnon in the last two weeks than I, I feel like I've watched in the last two years before that. But the more I watch him, the more I'm convinced that outside of Connor McDavid, he is the best player in the NHL. Um, the, the speed is undeniable. He's, he's maybe just as fast as McDavid. Uh, the offensive talent is obviously there. We know that from the point totals. But boy, is he a com- complete player. I think he's a better defensive player than Connor McDavid. Um, probably a yeah. better defensive forward than a lot of people give him. Or <clears throat> He's not talked about in the same breath as a Patrice Bergeron or a Sidney Crosby or an Alexander Barkov when you talk about the best two-way forwards. But he made a couple plays in that series against Arizona where he came back, hustled, and negated a, a surefire chance for Arizona. I think he's like you said, the best player in the playoffs here, but I think he's the best player in the league outside of Connor McDavid right now. Yeah, and it's tough. It's tough for those guys. Uh, you know, you look at Denver's not a huge media market, and so they're not going to be on primetime television. Like, you know, you're going to see Chicago on primetime TV, Philly, Pittsburgh, you're going to see a lot of the East Coast teams on primetime television because they're in bigger markets and they're going to draw better ratings. But, you know, if you want to – and I, what I really like about these playoffs right now is – you know, it, it's wall-to-wall hockey. You're going to see a lot of great uh, – you're going to see every game, you know, the way it's the way it's been structured in the two bubbles is, you know, you can see pretty much every single game of the playoffs, or is, especially in this series. Uh, so it's getting a lot more exposure to guys like Nathan McKinnon, and uh, I think that's a great benefit for the league. And, um, you know, probably one of the, you know, the big – 
shining or bright moments out of this whole COVID situation for the NHL is getting the kind of exposure that you're going to get for every single team. And, you know, even, even like Johnny Boudreau in, in Calgary, you know, he's going to be on television down here a lot more often than he was under normal circumstances. So I, I you know, in, in normal circumstances, you got two games going on at one or three, three games going on at the same time. You can't really, you can't really watch them all, but here uh, there's not a ton of overlap. There's not as much as there, there normally is. So it's, it's, uh, it's a lot better for the exposure of the, the uh, premier players out there. Yeah. I think Colorado is, is not the obvious choice, but I mean, it, they were pretty darn impressive. And when you, anytime you win in the playoffs seven to one, and then follow that up with another seven to one victory, I don't care who you're playing. That just doesn't happen much in the NHL playoffs. So very. Yeah. And, we, yeah, and, and I mean, we've been talking about, we've been impressed with the, the coyotes too. They're a good I young mean, team. They're a good young team. Yeah. A lot Real of good talent. Team. And, and yeah. that's, I mean, you're not only are you winning seven one, but you're scoring a lot of goals against the goaltender Darcy Kemper that up until that point had been more or less lights out for Arizona and had kept them in a lot of games this postseason. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's been impressive. And I mean, like I said, we've been, I've been really impressed with Arizona and we've talked about them on the last couple podcasts about how, how impressed we are and how the future looks really bright for Arizona. But geez, now, now if you're Arizona and you get, uh, you know, you get a couple losses like that, uh, it's got to be hard on the psyche moving forward. You know, it's got it's to be like, well, geez, you know, a few weeks ago we thought we were real close to, you know, maybe breaking through, but now now what do we have to do to, to take maybe an extra, another step to, to get to that breakthrough point? Yeah, and the, the Western Conference there you have the Golden Knights beating the Blackhawks 4-1 and the Avalanche beating the Coyotes 4-1. And I, I went down a YouTube rabbit hole a couple nights ago and I just watching different NHL mic'd up clips. And I think Drew Doughty said it best. Um, it was, I believe, last year, the stadium series between the uh, the the Avalanche and the LA Kings. But he's mic'd up on the bench and he says, how does that team have so many players that are pretty good at hockey? And I think that's a very good way to describe <laughs> Colorado Avalanche because they, they have, a, yeah. they have a, some elite talent in Rantanen and McKinnon, no doubt about it. But they have a lot of guys who are pretty good at hockey. You have Nazem Kadri, who's a different animal in the playoffs, Matt Nieto, Matt Calvert, uh, Jonas Donskoy, so much depth, Andre Burakovsky, a lot of guys that are just pretty good at hockey. Um, and that makes for an elite team right now. They're, they're an offensive juggernaut. Um, the other team, we'll talk about the elimination series first and then, then go back to the ones that are still going right now. The team that I was going to say I'm most impressed with, I think Avalanche just passed the eye test more so than anyone else. But I'm going to go with the Boston Bruins for two reasons. First of which is your starting goaltender up and leaves the bubble basically unannounced to the public. I think the Bruins had a much better idea that that might be happening than anyone else did. But still, that's tough when it actually happens. Tuka Rask leaving the bubble for family reasons and Yaroslav Halak having to jump in. And the Bruins didn't miss a beat. They rallied around Halak. They won every game with him in net. But the other thing was, I wasn't ready to count Boston out, but I really wasn't impressed with them at all in the round robin. And I thought it was going to be a lot tougher for a team that struggled in the round robin to flip a switch and instantly become a contender in the next round. But credit to them, they beat a pretty tough Hurricanes team in five games. I thought that series was going to be a lot tougher for them, whoever won it, 
I thought it was going minimum six, but probably seven. And Boston made it look pretty easy against Carolina. So they were my team that I was most impressed with in the first round, just because of a little adversity that they had to face. But also they didn't look nearly as impressive as Colorado did in the games they played in the bubble beforehand. Yeah, to your point, I I think, you know, you look at the Blues on the other side in the Western Conference, uh, they struggled in the the round robin. And now they're they're in a dogfight with, uh, with Vancouver in their first round series. But, you know, I, I do like Boston, how they've, uh, they've responded. It's a veteran group uh, that's been through the wars and they've, uh, you know, they've had some success reaching the Stanley cup final last year, which is, you know, a great experience for them. But, you know, I, I think in terms of uh, losing to Rask, that's a, that's a tough blow, but um, from a, from a stand, talent standpoint, I think that's a tough blow, but, you know, I was kind of wondering if that was going to happen or how often that would happen. Mm-hmm. And I, I just look at it from, you know, he's a guy who's got a young family, you know, and there's a lot of, it's difficult. The playoffs are difficult enough as it is on your home life and your family life when you're in a normal circumstance, you know, where, you know, it's, it's a high intensity hockey and it's difficult uh, to separate family and, and your and your hockey career, but I, you know, I, I wondered if there were going to be guys, especially older guys with young children, uh, who were going to opt out of the bubble because of you know the, the the pressure involved and how you know how difficult it is to be away from your family. And uh, I, I think there are a lot of younger guys who really embrace the bubble and you know are having fun with it. But I think the the, the married guys with children, I think that's a, it's a tough tough thing to do and you know it's tough to leave your your wife and your family behind for you know what could be months on end you know, especially a team like Boston and but I you know it I hope that he doesn't take too big of a beating over that I know he's a guy in Boston I don't know if how well the city has really embraced Tukarask there so I hope he doesn't take a beating over this because it's something that uh, I can certainly empathize with yeah, I think a lot of people can can empathize with it. And, and anyone that has been away from their family, whether it's been for a couple days or, or a couple months at a time, knows that it, it can be really difficult really quickly. And especially, again, if you have young kids at home, um, a recently born family for the most part, when it comes to Tuka Rass, that's got to be even tougher. So um, I think it's a you know, you're not going to see any complaint from me is it's tough to see him go out there. But I think as a as a competitor and as a player on the Boston Bruins, you understand how tough that decision had to be for him. And I think he had to be battling it the entire time in the bubble because that's not a decision that you go to the bubble and then suddenly you start missing your family. He had to be toying with that idea before he even came into the bubble. And I honestly think that's what's not being talked about enough is the fact that he probably had all of these same thoughts before he entered the bubble, yet he cared so much about the team and trying to make it work with them that he decided to at least give the bubble a try and then ultimately probably couldn't cut it, which is totally fine, and ended up backing out. But I don't think many people are talking about that angle. Is He really toughed it out for the team, I, I believe, first and foremost, and then just ultimately put his family first. Yeah, and I look at, uh, you know, another really good example of that is, you know, former fighting Saint Matt Benning, uh, with the Edmonton Oilers, he uh, he got married last summer, and I think they just had a little baby. I think um, like a month before they entered the bubble, 
And, uh, you know, I think of a guy like that where, you know, in remembering when I, when my, we first had kids, you know, how you, you go away for a weekend and you come back and your child looks so different than, than when you went away. And you just, it's so hard to miss that, you know, and, you know, look at a kiss, case like Matt Benning, a first time father. And, you know, he, you know, he has to be away from his wife. He has to be away from his child. And, uh, that's so difficult. And I mean, a lot of times we just look at, at, at pro athletes and we expect so much of them, you know, we expect them to perform under circumstances that we don't even know about or personal circumstances that we don't even know about. And we ride them and we, we get on them really, really hard. And, uh, but if you look at it, the personal standpoint of it, it's really difficult for a guy like that. And, uh, so, I mean, from a Turk, from Tuka Rask's standpoint, I, I don't blame him at all. And, and I, like I said, I hope he doesn't, doesn't pay a, a long price for this in Boston because I know how merciless the fans in Boston can be. Yeah. Hopefully everyone is respectable for the most part. They're, they're going to be people that aren't, but that is the case with any decision that is made nowadays ever on the internet. It's going to be tough to avoid those trolls, but hopefully for the most part, people are behind Tuka Rask's decision uh he he did help boston get to the the president's trophy in the regular season and help them get a solid seed um in the the playoffs at least to get the play in round kind of taken out of their hands they did end up being the last team in their uh round robin but now a 4-1 victory in that series makes you think that once again they're one of the teams to beat in the eastern conference the other team to beat in the eastern conference the lightning the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, it wasn't easy. A lot of close games, a couple overtime games, but they end up getting past the Blue Jackets, exercising the Demons there, a 4-1 series victory for the Lightning. And uh, real quick for the Lightning, I think we both expected a victory in this series. We both expected it not to be easy, but this is probably the best case scenario for the Lightning in the fact that they were tested in every single game, but they still got out of the series without expending too much energy yeah, okay five games but the five overtime game it was essentially a six game series <laughs> yeah, exactly a six game series for the lightning but still to get out of it in five games with an asterisk but to have every game be close shows i think the growth of the core group that the lightning have here yeah and i think uh, again i think it's a from a mental standpoint i think it's a huge huge uh, accomplishment to beat the team that really embarrassed you last year um, in, in the, you know, they were a number one seed last year and got beat by the eight seed, uh, the Blue Jackets in the first round last year. I, I think that that had to be embarrassing. That had to be, I'm sure they heard about it. Mm-hmm. You know, you hear about it all summer long and then you hear about it all season long. So I think that's a, a huge benefit for them. And uh, like you said, you get out of it relatively early and, you know, and then you move on to the next round. And, and, you know, that's a team that we've been talking about as a Stanley Cup contender for the last couple of years. And, you know, this might be the year that they do it if, you know, they get over that big hump of Columbus first. Yep. So they're into the next round. Boston is into the next round. Those were the top two teams points-wise on the regular season in the Eastern Conference. The second best team points-wise in the West, the Avalanche move on. The third best team in the West points-wise, Golden Knights move on. Stars in Dallas at the time of this recording, they will play tonight. So we'll know the result. You'll know the result by the time you listen to this episode, but that's three, two in favor of Dallas. 
arguably the best series in this first round, the Blues and Canucks, Vancouver leading 3-2 after a great performance by uh, Markstrom in net last night for the Canucks. And then in the Eastern Conference, Canadians stave off elimination last night in a uh, a pretty physical game against the Flyers, 3-2 Philly in that game. Game six, rather, is tonight, uh, Friday at 7 p.m., and then the Capitals and the Islanders, the Isles had a chance to eliminate the Caps in four straight. Caps staved off elimination, but the Islanders still up 3-1. When you look at the teams down here, Jim, Canadians are down to the Flyers. Caps are down 3-1 to the Isles. Blues are down 3-2 to the Canucks. And Flames are down 3-2 to Dallas. Which of those four teams has the best chance to flip the script and be the team that fights from behind to win the series? Oh boy, that's a that's a great question. I think I'm going to eliminate Washington. I think that's they're the least likely mm-hmm. because you know I looked at even their their post game press conference after that game, and it looked like it was almost as if being you know they were just staving off elimination. Yes, but it looked like they were. I don't want to say they were a beaten team, but they were a team that's really hanging on by a thread. And, and I think they are. So they're probably the least likely uh-huh. to move on. But the most likely, I, I'm probably going to go with St. Louis, maybe just because they have that Stanley Cup experience. But I really liked how Vancouver has played. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that one makes the most sense because that that has been a very even series for the most part. I mean, it's a couple bounces here. It's a couple bounces there, the difference in those games. But a series that hasn't been too different, the Stars and Flames, I think the I'll, I'll choose the Flames. I don't think either of the Eastern Conference series um, have a chance to be flipped as much as, as much as I want to say the Canadians have a shot. I think that's more just me wishing for a big upset than anything else. Um, I think the Flyers will eventually be able to take care of them. Uh, and like you said, the Islanders, I was honestly surprised that this even got to a fifth game, the way the Islanders were manhandling the Capitals. Um, it is very much the Barry Trotz revenge tour, it seems. And the, the Isles out, outside of those two teams, Avalanche and Bruins, we mentioned, might be the team that's impressed me the most um, in the bubble. They've been incredible with the style that they've played and gotten a lot of depth scoring from a team that doesn't really have a, a bona fide superstar. But I think I'm going to go with the Flames. I think they have enough left in the tank. The Stars, to me, are still a, a question mark as to how good are they really. And I think the Flames are right there. Um, they just need some of their top guys to step up a little bit more. Johnny Goudreau has been solid, but not as good as he can be. Same with Sean Monahan. A big loss for the Flames was Matthew Kachuk, and I'm not sure if he's going to be in the lineup for game six or not. But, boy, they're missing him and the grit that he brings. Uh, but both of those Western Conference series, I would not be shocked if they moved to seven games because those have both been tremendous and much tighter than the Eastern Conference, it feels like. Yeah, it'd be fun to see a couple game sevens. And, you know, I think uh... – it's been a lot of exciting hockey, but it's it's kind of a a disappointing time right now because we're going to run out of this wall to wall hockey like we've mm-hmm. had the last couple of weeks. You it's know, now it's already happening. Now the next two days, I know, night games only. I know. It's, tough. It's, it's tough to blow off work when you don't have a bunch of live sports. I know, I know, but I mean that's what's it's like. Like we mentioned a few weeks ago, it's like that first. Thursday, Friday of the NCAA basketball tournament where you can watch basketball from 11 a.m. till till midnight pretty much. It, you know, it, it's 
I've loved this first round here and it's been so much fun, but it's kind of a sad thing too, because you don't get to see that as much moving forward and it's going to be a little bit more spread out now moving forward. And I don't know if there will be very many, if any afternoon games at all. Now, I think when you get to the next round, I think there'll just be uh, at each bubble site, there'll probably only be one game a day at each bubble site. So you're probably looking at a six o'clock start on, on one site and then a nine o'clock start on the other. And so, I mean, your evenings will be taken care of, but it's kind of sad that we don't get to see the, the uh, 11 a.m. until 12 o'clock at night uh, hockey wall to wall. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be tough that I can't just simply wake up, roll downstairs and <laughs> push on hockey for the rest of the day. But We'll, we'll persevere somehow with only two to three games a day. It's, it's going to be tough, but we'll, we'll manage it. I, it's much better than having no hockey on any day, which we had for almost four months. So uh, great that the playoffs are continuing to go on without a hitch. Maybe we'll sprinkle in some NBA basketball in the meantime. Uh, but some series still to be decided. We'll keep an eye on those. We'll update you with how our predictions are looking after round one. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, this will be our last podcast for at least a couple weeks. We're going to kind of just pick and choose our spots here for the next month or so due to the fact that uh, the USHL now has a plan. But once more USHL content becomes available for us, we'll start up. And once the season gets going, we'll get you all the content you could possibly imagine and more every week for the Fighting Saints report, both the radio show and the podcast as well. So a couple weeks off for the both of us. Enjoy watching hockey. Jim, we'll talk to you in a few weeks. You bet. We'll look forward to it.